Welcome in to Dog Central on a Tuesday evening. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm Graham Coffee. This is Ask Dog Central, your weekly and sometimes bi-weekly discussion for all things Georgia football and many things college football as well. Hope you guys are doing well tonight. Uh, know that uh, this is a little bit different day and time for us. I promise that uh, here very, very soon I will lock this show into a regular time slot so that those of you who like to join us in the chat uh, can do that and know when we will be going live. One of these days, I'll also start this show on time. Today was not that day, but five minutes late. Not bad by my standards. Again, I apologize. Uh, if you're wondering <clears throat> why we started late tonight, uh, it is because I just posted a load of practice notes and, excuse me, in a very major recruiting note, like very, very major, um, onto the Dog Central subscribers forum. So go give that a look, check it out. Uh, I think you'll be excited by lots of things in that update. Um, if you are not a member at Dog Central, uh, I really honestly think like you're you're missing out on one of the the best values uh, you're you're gonna find. We're six ninety nine a month, which is considerably cheaper than your average uh, college football pay site. And right now, uh, we are posting intel every day that you're just not going to find anywhere else. Um, so hope you guys will join us over there because we have a lot, 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 lot of stuff going on and uh, we're adding some team members. We'll have, you know, more deep dive analysis than ever. And we will continue to bring you the type of recruiting and football Intel that you love and that we have become known for. So, all right, we're going to jump in here. Um, I'm going to start with our guy, Jimmy Guthrie. Um, his question is is actually a very, very good one uh, and something that is worth talking about. So he asks the – Wait, I just posted that in the wrong place. I posted it in the chat. Sorry about that. Anyways, Jimmy asks, uh, he says, the average offensive lineman on Georgia's team played about 800 snaps last season while the average defensive lineman took only about 450 snaps. Why is it the defensive lineman take so many fewer snaps versus the guys they are across from? I know the dog's defense stops drives, which leads to fewer snaps than the de than the offense and our defensive line rotates in and out on different packages. But doesn't that account for the but that doesn't account for the entire difference? Is DL simply a more physically taxing position than offensive line? Um I I don't think it's a more physically taxing position. No. Uh, I would say that I, I do I do think what you're talking about for Georgia is not something that you're, you're going to see in a lot of places, right? Like you look at Georgia's history. Um, 
I thought that Jalen Carter might become the first UGA defensive lineman under Kirby to to get to you know some of those kind of higher snap count numbers, but it just doesn't happen. And and the reason that it is simply because Georgia's recruiting in depth on the defensive line is the best in college football right now, right? Um, it's a luxury that most programs do not have from a depth standpoint. And so if you look at other teams, you're going to see defensive linemen who are playing eight, 900 snaps a season. Um, I did a project during the NFL draft season where I went back and looked at uh, every edge over the last decade who ran a sub four five forty at the combine. Um, and there was only, I believe 15 or 16 of them. Interestingly enough, four of those guys were, were from UGA, right? You had Nolan Smith and Robert Beal both go under that number this year. But, uh, yeah, you, like I, I went through the snap counts and most of those edges were playing 800 plus. And, you know, I mean, Nolan, I don't think he ever played more than around 400 in his entire career in a single season. So it's definitely different. And I would say that the reason why it's different is just Georgia wants to keep those guys fresh. And you hear, you hear teams talk about it a lot in football, right? Like we want to get this game to the fourth quarter and we want to, you know, we want to win and we want to impose our will in the fourth quarter. And when we get to the fourth quarter, we're going to have that defensive line worn down and we're going to get downhill on those guys. And, you know, we're going to run the football and control the clock and, and win the game. And, what George is doing with their substitution packages on the defensive line is basically just a, an anecdote to that, right? Like that's, that's as simple as it is. Um, last year, nobody on George's team from a edge defender or defensive line standpoint played more than 486 snaps. And that was Robert Beal. Um, Nazir Stackhouse was was the next closest with 473, but like let's look at let's look at another team here. Let's see what we got. Let's look at Alabama. Why not? Let's see what their guys played last year. And I mean, don't get me wrong, Alabama's depth is going to be the most similar. But yeah, Will Anderson 684 snaps last year. Dallas Turner 647. Uh, Brian Young, who was their best true defensive lineman uh he was up there at 548 so yeah i mean that's that's still 70 more than anybody on georgia's team and you're you're talking about a team that had a 93 percent blue chip ratio going into last season um it's good to a team like florida state who is recruiting better and is is kind of up and coming but like they're still they're still building that depth on defense. You look at their defensive line. Actually, 414 was the most that we saw from Florida State last year. So that's kind of surprising. Maybe that they did have a bunch of injuries up front. So that that could be why. But honestly, that might be a very good sign for, for them in the future. Um, Florida. I bet these numbers are going to be crazy for their defensive line. Gervin Dexter played 682 snaps for Florida last year. It's an insane number. Um, so, 
yeah, I mean, it's just it's a it's a it's about keeping those guys fresh, especially in big games. With B, it's also an opportunity. Like it, it's kind of a Georgia kind of manifesting their own reality in a way, right? Because like if you act like you have depth, then you give these guys experience, and then all of a sudden you do have more depth, right? So um, that that's one of the things that that has made the the Georgia football brand unique under Kirby Smart for sure. That's a good question, Jimmy. Thank you for that. All right. So this question is about this is kind of something we touched on last week. So I'm just gonna be really quick here. But uh D Song asks about we've talked about Carson Beck's legs a couple times in the last couple of months, but he asked specifically about designed run plays for Beck in 2023. Uh, I mean, like you think about Stetson, right? Uh, last year, we didn't really see any like true design run play for Stetson until we got to the college football playoff or the SEC championship game against LSU. You know, they ran that kind of QB power concept out of the shotgun with a tight end flanked sort of like an H back and went over to the pylon to, to Bennett's left and he scored easily. And then they did that again against Ohio state. Um, I would be surprised to see that with Carson Beck, but the Bobo influence is interesting because you, you go back to his time at Georgia before uh, you did see him utilize quarterback draw actually pretty frequently especially like in kind of you know in times where his offense was struggling or his quarterback was playing poorly that was sort of a, a release valve that he would pull on it you know I, I think that uh you often saw him you know Matt Stafford against Auburn in 2006 I think he had over like a he had almost 100 rushing yards in that game, if I'm not mistaken, but that was like a big weakness that he found in Auburn's defense. Uh, Aaron Murray did some of that. You know, I don't think Beck's super athletic, but uh, I do think he's fast enough to where a, if a team is not respecting his legs, Georgia can take advantage of it. And so I wouldn't be surprised to see it, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think it's something you're going to see more than once or twice all year my personal opinion there and if you guys in the chat if you have questions put them in um you know just some of these things like i will say uh if you got questions about williams and harry i just did a very substantial significant update on him on our website go check it out like that, that's one that uh is well worth the price of admission on its own not to mention all the other practice notes and stuff we're putting up right now. So, yeah. Um, okay. What else do we got here? Aiden, how are you doing tonight? Uh, you asked, how does Georgia gain back momentum from losing KJ Bolden to FSU and now Peyton Woodyard to Alabama? Um, I, I mean, losing Bolden – that was substantial. That was significant, right? Like that's, it's not something that 
they wanted, you know, like it's it's not like he wasn't a take or anything like that. Like Georgia recruited him really hard. They got him on campus 16 times. Uh, you know, they were, they recruited his mom really well. They, they worked hard on his family. Um, I just think that at the end of the day, like FSU had good relationships. Pat Sertan as a DB coach, I think resonated with Bolden. It's not to say Fran Brown or Kirby Smart didn't, but um, Norvell and Sertan did a good job. Like the relationships were, were I think very similar between Georgia and Florida State in terms of just the significance and the power of those. And I think when it came down to it at the eleventh hour, Florida State was somewhere where he felt very comfortable. Uh, it was a team that he grew up liking and and loving and all of that, but he also. Um, you know, I, I think that he was – they were willing to play the NIL game maybe a little bit more than Georgia was. I think, you know, I'm, I'm there's a misnomer maybe by some Georgia fans sometimes where it's like, well, we don't – you know, we don't do NIL. We're, we're national champions, so we don't have to do that. You, you got to play that game in some way in this day and age. And a lot of that – often just looks like, Hey, like this is what the guys on our team are, are making right now who are very good. We think you can be very good. So why don't you, why don't you come here? And when you are very good because you took our coaching and you know, you listen to us and, and all of that, like then you can make the same amount of money as player a or player B. Uh, but you know, I mean, I think with Bolden, like they, you know, uh, they there was some big numbers that get thrown around, and I would caution you against believing all of the numbers that, like, you know, that that get put out there. But I would tell you that he still was, you know, an NIL kid, right? Like NIL was a factor in this recruitment. It was not the only factor in Bolden's recruitment, but it was a factor in this recruitment. And to say otherwise would be disingenuous. And I don't get on here and lie to you guys. Nobody, you know, there's no reason for me to do that. But I, I think that Georgia was willing to play that game in a way that they often are not. And, and we said as much on Dog Central in the lead up to to the day of his announcement. But I think that in the very end there, there became, you know, uh, a situation where it was just, you know, things got ridiculous and you're going back and forth and back and forth. And I think those conversations are things that should, in George's mind, maybe happen like in the lead up you know, throughout the recruitment process. And, and there's, there's conversations and discussions that happen and there's maybe agreements that are come to or whatever, but Georgia is not going to split their locker room for anybody. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, take, I'll, there was a player that transferred from Georgia this past off season who I think was one of those, one of those kids who, uh, you know, came in, and made some good NIL money when he got on campus because he was a high-profile recruit. And 
all the all all kids are different, but I think that you know Georgia's had players in their locker room who bragged about NIL, and you know we're not contributing in a way that other guys were, but you know they were maybe you know pulling down some more in NIL or thought that they should be, and that creates splits in locker rooms. And at the end of the day, like Georgia right now is the best program in college football, not because they bring in the most raw talent every year. Georgia is the best program in college football because they bring in the most coachable talent every year. They bring in the most guys who have high ceilings and listen. And I think at the end of the day, that is, you know, that's the secret sauce that that's, that's what they're doing. That is different than most everybody else. And, you know, recruiting is, is this temporary role reversal that happens where the, you know, the coaches are chasing the approval of the player, maybe more so than the other way around, uh, especially for a kid like Bolden, who everybody wants and is everyone agrees. You turn on his tape, you watch 30 seconds of it. This kid's a stud. We all know it, but I, I think, you know, they aren't going to sacrifice the dynamics of their locker room and the most, you know, the, the well-being of the program and the the culture that they want to have so that they can win one or two high-profile recruitments. Um, at the end of the day, they didn't get a five-star safety that they really wanted, and you had Peyton Woodyard flip out of the class to Alabama today, and they're still the number one class in the country by a wide margin. I don't think anybody feels like another program can catch them for the number one class in the 2024 cycle. So um, to touch on uh, Woodyard, because you asked about it, Aiden, that's been, I think, in the works for a little while. Um, you know, I, Georgia and what they want out of the safety position right now, like the system that they run, it can be different than, than what other teams might be looking for. Like other teams might play more zone. Uh, you know, Georgia likes to man up at times they, they're going to ask their, their safety to, to cover in man in certain situations. Like there's a lot of requirements to be a safety in the Georgia defense. And I think Woodyard really good player, uh, highly rated for a reason, but, you know, I, I don't know that, like, just even from the start, I said this when he committed, I don't know that necessarily he would have been the best fit in Georgia's system. I think that he's a good enough athlete. They would have found ways for him to get on the field and play. But, you know, I, I don't know if he would have been a true safety for Georgia or if, if maybe, you know, he would have played a little closer to the line of scrimmage or, you know, and kind of some some hybrid stuff. And so – um Really good kid. Everybody loved Woodyard. Um, really nice, as you know, from a media standpoint, a guy that was a, a really good communicator with a lot of us in in the UGA media space. Um, I'm going to be pulling for him for a long time. Wish him well at Alabama, but I just think that you know. Alabama did a good job of, of selling him and, and recruiting him and the the situation just kind of ran his course, you know, and you see that a lot when kids commit that early. I mean, he committed to Georgia and, you know, 
like January um, before the national title game. So, yeah, not something that I would be super stressed about. You still have DeMello Jones in this class. Uh, Georgia's going to go hard after Cam Michael. I really like him. He's a guy that could play anywhere. Yeah, Sacred Grove is asking in the live chat here who to look for in the 2024-25 class for safety now. So uh, one of those is, you know, going to be Cam Michael as far as guys who are still out there and on the board. Um, I, I think that Michael, the biggest question with him is that he's good enough to play offense or defense, and there are a lot of schools that – you know, are, are saying, hey, you, if you come here, you can play wherever you want. You can play receiver. I think George has been going down the path of trying to convince him that his future will be brightest as a defensive back, and I think that they're getting closer and closer to, you know, having him sold on that. So should be uh, a guy that Georgia is in it for till the, the very, very end. You know, I wouldn't say that. Like, I think that's a done deal yet or anything like that. But I, I think Georgia's in a, a great place and they're, rec- they're recruiting him harder than ever right now uh, due to, you know, not getting Bolden and, and losing Hayward and Woodyard out of the class from the safety commits. Uh, I also think that, you know, Georgia, like Ellis Robinson is a corner. But, you know, DeMello Jones is a guy who's already committed, who's an incredible athlete. He could, he could play either or. Uh, you've got Jonte Gilbert who just decommitted from Ohio state. He is a Georgia kid. He's a very, very good player. Uh, class 2025. I I think they like him a lot. Everybody does. Um, you know, when you, you look at him out of Atlanta at Douglas, uh, you know, consensus four, four star, one of the top five safeties in the, in the class pretty much from a, you know, the consensus uh, standpoint with him. And so there is some chatter that he could be a guy who maybe looks to reclassify to 2024. And if he is, then he would be a very, very good fit for Georgia at this point in the cycle. So we will see what happens there, but um, I think UGA will be fine at the safety position. You've got Starks for, one more year after this, you've got Aguero, who uh, I got some notes about on our board right now, but um, it's looking impressive right now, to put it simply. So, yeah, I wouldn't be stressed about it yet if I was a Georgia fan. And look, what do we know about Kirby Smart? Like the dude, he he likes to, you know, he likes to go and make a couple big flips late in the cycle every year, and so there could be a highly rated safety out there that's committed to a program where maybe the staff gets in trouble or maybe the staff doesn't get in trouble, but they go seven and five and the kid's looking at it and he's like, no, I don't really want to be a part of this. Um, Georgia is the type that will, that will get in on that type of kid. So hope I answered your question on that. Aiden, um, Harry, welcome in. I see you just joined the the chat. Uh, so I've been waiting for you to come in so that I can answer your question. Um, he says, will you settle a certain argument for me? I'm going to try, my, my friend. Um, it says, a certain channel has said on many occasions 
that Bear Alexander started many games last season, yet I cannot recall one. I recall spot duty in the rotations, and he showed promise, but it is claimed he would have been our next monster DL. Uh, so, sorry. Our scroll here. I think with Bear Alexander, you're talking about a kid who, yeah, he did. He flashed, he showed promise, but, I mean, we were talking about defensive line snaps earlier today, right? Let's go back and look at Georgia's D-line snaps from last year. Total D-line snaps. Uh, I'm just going to start naming interior linemen from top to bottom on number of snaps they played. Stackhouse was first, Jalen Carter second, Zion Logue third, Tramel Walther fourth, Warren Brinson fifth, Ingram Dawkins sixth, Nolan Smith seventh, Bear Alexander eighth. Uh, he played 169 snaps last year. Those are not starter-level snaps. They're not anywhere close to starter-level snaps. Uh DFF pass rush grade of 69.6, which is kind of slightly uh, below average replacement level. Defense grade of 72.4. Again, you know, a little bit above replacement level. But obviously a really talented kid. He had 11 pressures on 125 pass rush opportunities last year. Uh, The thing that, from a Georgia standpoint, you know, maybe stands out the most is – Other than that TCU game where he had a sack in a hurry, uh, he only had one stop play all year versus a P5 team, and that that was late in the Florida game. He had a nice tackle there. But when you talk about, you know, the, the claim, I guess, is was that he was going to be Georgia's next monster to yelp. Georgia's got a ton of three technique defensive linemen right now. They got them all over the place. Uh, you, you know, you've got Warren Brinson, you've got Ingram Dawkins, you have lots and lots of players who can, can rush the passer from, from the inside, you know, like Logue is a lengthy guy. He can jump gaps as well. Uh, you, you've got young guys coming up in the program that, are, are going to have opportunities to, to show they can do that. Like, I don't think that's the weakness for Georgia. Uh, I think what Georgia needs more of right now, and maybe one of my biggest questions about Georgia going into 2023 is we know that Stackhouse can get in the middle and he can two gap against opposing offenses you know if 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 Georgia needs to play Tennessee with five in the box again like they did last year and spoiler alert at some point they're gonna have to Logue is a guy I'm sorry uh Stackhouse is a guy that like we know you know he can he can hang in there and and line up over that guard and he can handle the a gap to his right and the b gap to his left who else is gonna do that um you'd like to see Brinson you know Couple his pass rush ability with the, you know, with some more two gap kind of uh, prowess. Same with Ingram Dawkins. Bear Alexander, 
showed great promise in 2022 and anyone that tells you he didn't is being disingenuous in my opinion but from a run defense standpoint he didn't impress overly you know like there was there was moments where he looked nice but i mean you look at his snap counts right 169 snaps played 125 of those were against the pass. 43 were against the run. So that's that's almost four to one the number of pass rush snaps that he saw versus run defense snaps. Now Kirby Smart and George's entire staff, those guys are good coaches, right? They've won back-to-back national titles. So let's operate off the premise that nothing happens by mistake. Why do you think that they had uh Bear Alexander in there for 125 pass snaps versus only 43 run snaps because they felt like the strength of his game was, you know, being more of a pass rush defensive tackle. Now those guys are very, very valuable. Look at the NFL. You find a defensive tackle who can rush the passer consistently. They will make a lot of money in their career because the, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. And those guys are lined up, closer to the quarterback than the edge rushers down on the end of the line. But at the end of the day, to be in there, to go after the quarterback every time he drops back to pass, then you have to be able to do what? You have to be able to stop the run. They have to trust that you're going to stop the run. Otherwise, you become more of a third down specialist as a defensive tackle. And that is what Bear Alexander was for Georgia in 2022. Uh The implications of the intel that I got about his spring practice early before, you know, he kind of fell out and and left was that that was probably going to be the type of player he would be in 2023. Now at USC, because there's a lack of better options, he probably will be more of like a three-down lineman. Uh, You know, they probably will leave him out there first, second, third down. But at Georgia, there are guys who will be on the field for first and second down to stop the run. And then, you know, a guy like Alexander probably would have been in there at third down. I think that with coaching and, you know, if he if he took the coaching at Georgia, that from a physical potential standpoint, his ceiling is massive. Like he he could have very easily uh, developed into a guy that could could play the run really, really well and rush the passer uh, as well as he already did or or even better because I'm sure he will continue to get uh, better at that and develop. But as far as what would he have been, you know, like was he the next great Georgia defensive lineman? I don't think so. You know, I mean, if if you want to pick a kid from his class who is the next great Georgia defensive lineman, go ahead and go ahead and talk about Michael Williams, who was a monster in run defense last year and also, you know, uh, was, was registering third down sacks against a first, first round offensive tackle from Ohio state in the college football playoff last year when Georgia really needed that type of play. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that obviously I know that it's not a, a one-to-one comparison, Bear Alexander, more of an interior player, uh, Michael Williams, more of a, a four eye defensive end kind of in the, the same mold of Trevon Walker, at least on first and second down. And then, you know, you would see him flex out wide, but 
we did see Michael line up, you know, shaded more inside at times last year too. Uh, George is going to ask those guys to play all across the front, especially if they're good enough to, to play frequently. So that is, uh, yeah, Sacred Grove Christian, Christian Miller is going to be good. Um, that's, that's one to watch as well. Thank you for pointing him out. Cause I forgot to, to give him proper kudos. So I hope that answers the question, Harry. Um, feel free to snip that and shove it in your friend's face or whoever it was that was going to uh, argue with you about that. Um, got a question about Ryan Wingo. Uh, there's some people out there that seem to think that we could still grab him, uh, that Georgia could still grab him, I believe is is your implication. Um, George is, yeah, George is still very much in it for Wingo. Uh, that's another guy that, that I, you know, I've, I've updated multiple times recently on the dog central subscriber forum. You, you know, go, go check it out. Um, I'll put it this way. If Wingo was a kid that was only worried about NIL, then I, I think he would be committed somewhere else right now because, uh, you know, I think that, uh, there are some programs that have that have made big push for him in the in the NIL space, and doesn't seem to be the uh, the sole driving factor in his decision. And whenever that's the case, then I, I think Georgia's got a very good chance to land a kid. I I think that there's some things Georgia wants to see from Wingo his senior year uh, in terms of route running, and I think that you know. Wingo wants to see how George's receiving receiver class is going to shake out. And so I think those two are still in contact on a very regular basis, but, uh, you know, still kind of feeling each other out. He said he's not going to make a decision until late December, like probably, you know, maybe even on early signing day. So there is uh, over four months to go in that one. So plenty of twists and turns to come ahead in the recruitment of Ryan Wingo. Mo uh, better. You've got questions about safety prospects. Uh, we kind of talked about that position already. So um, check that out when you get a chance. Uh, I want to be clear though, like, cause I, I think, you know, everyone seems kind of worried about um, some of that. Like you mentioned Mincy, Zay Mincy. Uh, Florida commit good player, but again, you know, I think like, you know, Georgia is not just looking for bodies at safety. If they were looking for bodies at safety, then some of these guys that were in the class before would still be in the class. Okay. Like I, I think, you know, they are looking for guys with elite coverage ability and, you know, there's a lot of safeties out there that are, more the kind of run stopper type or, um, you know, more the kind of box safety type player. And I don't think that's what George is looking for. So, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I said earlier, I wouldn't be shocked to see Georgia like flip somebody there, but also I'm still, interested to see how the coming weeks and months go between Georgia and KJ Bolton, because anytime a prospect has this much, you know, agonizing over his decision and then 
makes it like there's going to be some second thoughts or maybe there's going to be some some further conversation. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him have another ceremony over again when we get to early signing day in December. So we'll see how that goes. Um, Sager Grove says, could flip Florida safety. Are you thinking of uh, – let me say his name. Phil same. Xavier Phil same. Um, I mean, I'm sure, you know, he's a talented kid. I think he's a kid that Georgia would certainly be interested in, but uh, he's also a kid that, you know, Georgia prioritized Bolden and other players over him. So is he willing to forget that? Because there was a time where you know, it seemed like he was, he was very interested in Georgia. And I don't know that Georgia – put the throttle down quite as much as uh, they they could have with him. And generally, kids don't forget that type of stuff. Uh, speaking of stuff that we shouldn't forget, Home Field Apparel is the sponsor of this show. They are our sole uh, marketing and advertising partner at dogcentral.com right now. And the reason is that our brands go together really well. They make really good stuff. Uh, we like to think we make really good stuff. And at the end of the day, I like to be comfortable. And so if I'm a part room with somebody, then part of it is that I want to get some free shit and there's nobody I'd rather get free stuff from than home field apparel because their t-shirts are comfy and cozy. I'm wearing one right now. It's just the classic home field logo. You can see it here on your YouTube screen. Um, if you have not checked out the home field apparel, Georgia collection, please do it. Go to homefieldapparel.com. They have all sorts of throwback designs and you can use code dogcentral23. That is D-A-W-G-S central 23, all caps for 20% off on your first order. Uh, when you support them, you support us. Uh, we're planning lots of exciting things with Homefield as the season comes along. We'll be doing giveaways on the site and on this show. And we will also be doing some, some live live show type things together, uh, probably in late October, early November in Athens. Uh, and we will also potentially be doing a tailgate with those guys. So uh, support them if you want to support us because uh, they support us. So keep that in mind, please. Thank you. Now that we've uh, paid our bills, so to speak, let's see what other questions you guys came up with. Um, Hunter asked, given the state of Georgia's running back room and its health, do you think we will be throwing the ball a lot more until our running backs are healthy? That is a great question, Hunter. It's one I've been asking myself a lot this week. Um, the conundrum here is that the strength of Georgia's entire team right now, or it seems to be, is the offensive line. And you're breaking in a new quarterback. What's what's quarterback's best friend? Play action. How is play action effective when it, you're actually a threat to run the ball? So I don't think Georgia's going to abandon the run. Um, they brought in, you know, they brought Savon Clark back from the portal for this. They, they, you know, Linneth Whitehead, uh, the kid they brought in from Tennessee, 
y'all you know, some of y'all are gonna laugh but like cash jones is a, a talented kid right that kirby has said might be pound for pound the most the strongest player on the team so don't sleep on any of those guys uh don't sleep on you know some of the young young bucks roderick robinson slimmed down i think even more during this offseason um i think he's a guy that you know for a big kid moves moves well I'm not saying he's ready to jump in and you know go have a thousand yard season in the sec but i think he can contribute and i think they really like his uh his ability to do different things um so i i just don't think you're gonna see georgia ever become like this you know 70 percent pass team with the defense that they have and the the fact that they're going to be you know they're going to win a lot of games by a lot of points right so i i know they like their receivers and, and all of that but like early in the year uh i still expect them to to try and lean on teams kirby smart preaches physicality and it's hard to be physical when you pass the ball all the time. Uh, you know, you, you look at kind of, you know, what's happened to Alabama over the last couple of years, they got wider and wider and wider and they got more and more spread out and their first down rushing success rate was abysmal. And so, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's second and eight, second and nine. And Bryce Young is, is trying to throw them out from behind the chains. And, you know, I think that, uh, you look at Bobo's history, he is going to vary first down, run and pass. He's going to keep teams guessing. He's not going to be, you know, a run, run, pass type of coordinator. And I don't think he should be. That's that's not what you want in this modern age of football. You have to maintain some element of surprise. But, uh, yeah, I just – I mean, I, I think George is going to throw the ball plenty because they've, they've got good players who can execute that. But – you're you're not gonna dominate people at the line of scrimmage if you you know you become a a pass driven offense, and so I don't think they'll go too far in that direction. Hope that answers your question, Hunter. Um, yes, yeah, so this is a good question uh, from from Joey. And if you are a Dog Central member, you are probably familiar with uh, my Todd Monken long con theory. And, you know, what I mean by that is uh, last year, I think Georgia, they they went out early in the season and uh, – they probably only ran like 25, 30% of their playbook in some of their games in games that they knew they were going to win. And I think they do that in a lot of games, to be frank with you. And some people think I'm crazy or that I'm making excuses for them, but go look at the playbook, uh, you know, in a early October sec game against a, a you know, a, mid to lower level Eastern division opponent versus what they're running in the SEC championship or the college football playoff, like, or, or even against Tennessee last season, it's, it's very different. And it's because I think you got it right. Uh, the gentleman who asked the question here, 
Joey, you know, you asked with the soft start to Georgia's schedule, how do you see the team approaching some of these early games? More conservative to preserve film or somewhat aggressive to avoid any close calls like Mizzou or Kent State? Uh, I would push back that Kent State was a close call. I mean, Georgia, Georgia was always in control of that game. They had some fluky turnovers, but, like, they, they pretty much dominated on a down-to-down basis. You give up a fake punt. You know, they, the one leverage mistake by Chris Smith led to a big play for a touchdown on a screen, but Georgia was never losing to Kent State. Um, and I still thought it was hilarious that, you know, we got into December and January and, like, Danny Cannell's like, oh, well, you know, look at what Kent State did to him. It's like, you're not talking about the same thing. You aren't. Like, you know, you're – you're talking about, you know, we were talking earlier about some of the defensive rotations. Look at who they're rotating in in some of these games and how many snaps their starters are actually playing. Not that many. Like, this is, you know, this is a – it's not a scrimmage, but it's – in some ways it's closer to a scrimmage than it is playing, you know, a marquee matchup like versus Ohio State or versus a elite high-level SEC team. So – I still think that you're going to see Georgia maintain, you know, the, the more I've thought about it and the more I research it this offseason, I believe that the Todd Monken long con theory might actually be the Kirby Smart long con theory because you look at Georgia's defensive play calls, they do the exact same thing uh, in terms of, you know, saving pressure packages for, for big moments and big games and only playing base defense, very, very vanilla style uh, against some of their out-of-conference opponents and some of the, you know, worst teams in the SEC. I don't think that's going to change. Uh, and I think for, you know, especially with with Carson Beck under center and a new offensive coordinator, it's kind of a reset in a way. Like, Monken and Bennett, they spent two years together. And Monken, you know, as that time went on, particularly in 2022 – really tailored that offense around what Stetson Bennett was good at and to, you know, take advantage of, of his skill set. And Georgia put a lot on his shoulders early in the season last year because, you know, they, they really didn't run block very well uh, in, in early going in 2022. Like, Rattledge was was still getting over his foot injury and Truss, you know, I think was – was still kind of, you know, being seasoned and getting experience. And they struggled to block on the interior in the run game for a long time. And so that's why, you know, you saw some of these games where Stetson was throwing the ball 38 times. Um, You know, Missouri was like that. Eventually they were able to come back to the run and go win that game in part because of Stetson, but also in large part because of of Kenny McIntosh's, you know, second half performance. But – Early in that game, they were getting whooped up front and they were trying to run a lot of zone scheme and they were they were getting pushed around by Mizzou's front. And and Kirby Smart said as much after that game, like Missouri whipped them up front and then they went gap scheme and started to use some of Missouri's aggression and movement against them. And, you know, instead of trying to push them off the ball, they tried to start, you know, angling them off the ball and kind of, you know, moving them around and instead of trying to push them around uh you know it was more of a finesse style of run because they were they were struggling and and it worked out obviously they won that game but point being i think 
you saw this buildup for Georgia all the way through the TCU game last year where more and more of the playbook got used and shown and exposed. And, uh, and there were wrinkles in there that were very Stetson specific, like, like that QB power to the goal line that we were talking about earlier that we saw, you know, a couple times, uh, in the SEC championship and college football playoff, like that, that was something that Monken designed because he had a quarterback with legs, but he never needed it until he got, you know, down to the end. But that TCU game, I've always maintained the reason that Georgia dropped 65 on TCU was because there were no more games to save plays for. This was the end of the line with Stetson. Like it was, you know, but it was time to empty the clip. And it was obviously the end of the line with Monken as well. And so uh, it was kind of like, you know, his magnum opus and ended up being the, the largest defeat in a bowl game ever. And it happened to happen in a national title game point being, yeah, I think that, that Kirby and, and Bobo and that entire staff, they, they're going to want to play things close to the vest this year. And um, there's no reason for them not to early in the season. Like, you know, Georgia fan on Twitter who has been arguing with a Tennessee fan all year. Like, I know that you want desperately for Georgia to force feed somebody so they have a thousand yard receiver and you can stop having that conversation, but they're not going to do that if they think it can cost them a, a first down or a touchdown later on in the season when it actually matters. Uh, you don't win awards for putting up 63 on Vanderbilt or Missouri. Like you, you, you win titles at the end. And uh, you know, you saw that like, you know, there's, it's kind of a mark of some of these up and coming programs in the SEC sometimes that are trying to establish themselves and challenge uh, the Georgias and the Alabamas of the world. Like they are going to run up the score at the end of a game and they are going to force feed guys for stats because Sometimes stats talk on the recruiting trail, but um, yeah, I hope that answers the, the question. Okay, let's see if we. Uh, Tampa Dog asks, he says, a lot of us got hung up on the historically great class thing. He's talking about Georgia's uh, 2024 recruiting class. He says, but I feel like this class, top to bottom, could rank as UGA's best ever, considering what Kirby's done in the past. That's saying something. Do we feel that that's a realistic statement? Yeah, I feel that's a realistic statement. Um, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a pure rating standpoint, I, I think this will be Georgia's best class. Um you know, I think a lot of Georgia people, at least a lot of you on the Dog Central Forum, you guys got kind of bummed last week after the Bolden uh, decision because I think it felt like for many of you, you know, that had to happen to have the highest rated class of all time. The thing I would remind you about Georgia's recruiting classes is, you know, hold on, let me get this up here. Okay. 
the thing that I would remind you about Georgia's recruiting compared to some of these all-time great classes that, you know, Georgia fans are comparing 2024's Hall to is like, look at Texas A&M's 2023, I believe it was, recruiting class. I'm sorry, 2022 recruiting class. And then look, look where those guys are now. Look where Texas A&M's 2022 recruiting class is. Like, they've they've still got some studs, and they definitely upgraded the talent of their program, but they brought in a ton of character issues. And it led to them, you know, having a, a really rough season last year. And it, it ended in Texas A&M having a bunch of those guys hit the transfer portal and all sorts of internal strife. I sat across from Ania Smith at SEC Media Days while he talked about, you know, the, the struggle and why they haven't been able to turn talent into championships. And he spoke very openly about, you know, after the COVID year, we had all these kids come into the program and them and their families, they were really all about NIL and they were there to make NIL money. They were not, you know, there for team goals and to win championships. And these kids were showing up and they were saying, I don't have to go to class. And that blew his mind and it should blow his mind. Like Georgia, you look at who they recruit and who they maybe more importantly, like who they don't recruit that, that is interested in them. And it's what I said earlier, Georgia, it's not that they recruit the most, raw talent every year they they recruit the most raw talent that is coachable and they're just not going to chase some of these kids that these classes some people are comparing 2024's class to had in them like they're not going to chase an Ajay Hall or a Billingsley they're not going to chase uh, a Denver Harris or you know some of these guys that Chris Marshall, like Georgia brought Smoke Bowie in out of the portal from AM, had him there for a couple months and, you know, decided probably best for him to hit the road. Like they've got enough talent to where they don't have to chase character risks, especially at the high school level to, to fill out their roster and to, to be as competitive as they want to be. And so, when you compare Georgia's 2024 recruiting class and where it ends up and whether or not it's the best of all time or it's historically good, remember that because you're talking about UGA focusing on kind of a, you know, they're sort of playing with a smaller deck of cards, so to speak, because they don't want any jokers in their deck. And that means the player pool is just going to be smaller and there, there's going to be five-star kids every single year that Georgia just isn't going to deal with because those guys are going to be headaches when they get on campus. And if they did want to chase those guys, then yeah, they're, they're probably, you know, has definitely been some classes in the past and, and the same would be true for 2024 where the, the final score, the final, you know, tally of, of uh, recruiting numbers like might, end up as as the greatest ever but 
as a Georgia fan, would you rather puff your chest out in the off season about how you had the greatest class ever? Or would you rather know that Kirby Smart's culture is being preserved? Georgia's got a really good locker room and those guys are going to continue to do what the, the ones before them did in terms of their work habits. I think you would choose that over, you know, being able to beat out Texas A&M's 2022 class, but also having the headaches that came with Texas A&M's 2022 class. All right. Um, those of you in the chat, if you have any fall camp questions, uh, you can you can drop them in there. I'm happy to speak on you know some things. I'll, I'll take a couple. Uh, ooh. Okay, Braun Dog asks, "You get to be Kirby Smart for two weeks." of training camp, but you can only focus on one thing for those two weeks. What would you choose? Another way of asking the question, what in your opinion is the key area of growth for the team slash what is the primary area that the team needs to develop slash grow? Think if you asked Kirby this question, he would tell you that this team needs to use training camp to bond and form togetherness. He highlighted this as a key for the last two teams. Uh, I agree with your assessment brawn dog about you know the the chemistry and the the team camaraderie and the culture and which is what we were just talking about a second ago with recruiting right so uh definitely an important thing definitely something that kirby smart values and the entire staff values no question there i would say that if i was uh in charge of you know george's training camp i'm gonna keep this a strictly football but I'll give you two answers. The number one answer is that if you can guarantee me that Carson Beck is going to come into Georgia's system and he's going to get through his reads on time and he's going to deliver, you know, he's going to see the field and and deliver the football on time, then I feel like I can guarantee you that, you know, Georgia's going to be in the college football playoff again and maybe playing for the national title again. Like barring a very strange bounce or a bad run of injury luck that, that would seem almost certain to me at that point. Uh, the second thing would be, you know, the I, I would focus on on that defensive line point that we were talking about earlier. Like, what makes Georgia special is that they can they can two gap you with a light box on the front end, and then you know on the on the back end they've got numbers to do whatever they want. So, uh, yeah, if if Georgia was able to do that, then Again, that's another thing that I think would be a good indicator of them playing for a national title uh, in 2023. Great question, though. Thank you for uh, letting me be Kirby Smart for a day. Uh, Cam asks, do I think Dominic Lovett is good enough to be drafted in the first round? Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, we've talked about him a lot on here in the past, but uh, – Second in the SEC last year in yards per route run, which is a, a weird stat, but it's it's receiving yards per a passing route run. And uh, it's a really good indicator of productiveness. But uh, number one last year was, I believe, Jalen Hyatt was like 
a crazy number of YRR. But um, love it was very very high up in that uh, up in that list, and I think he's a guy that uh, I think has pretty unique value from a separation standpoint, really good in the slot. Obviously, you know, very good, uh, very good as a Z receiver as well. So you can use them in a lot of places. And that's the big hallmark that, you know, people keep coming back to with him is just the guy continues to create separation, create separation. Let's see. Yeah. Number one, Jalen Hyatt, 3.27 yards per route run. Number two, Dominic Lovett, 2.94 yards per route run. So um, those are first-round levels of production. Okay, whoa, this is a long question from Tommy. An ongoing question for camp. Okay, we're going to read this one there. If you look at what really got the dogs over the hump the last two years against the other elite teams, it seems like it was success in the medium to deep vertical passing game that was created by Mockin's scheme, Mockin's dedication to throwing downfield and aggressively often, and Stetson's aggressive mindset. Dogs don't win the Bama title game or the OSU game without all of those factors and deep passes that the Fromm dogs couldn't hit made the difference in those games and elevated the program. A.D. Mitchell versus Bama, Arian Smith play, the deep seam route of Jackson on the last drive of the OSU game. My question for camp, is the new combination of Beck, Bobo, Kirby, and the wideouts demonstrating that same willingness and skill set to push the ball downfield? Uh, the wideout should be as good or better in the last two years, but it really feels like it's play calling, aggressive mindset from the staff, and Beck's willingness to pull the trigger that will dictate the outcome. Uh, Carson Beck does not have any problem pulling the trigger. That I can tell you for sure. And definitely, you know, Mike Bobo, go back and look at his record. Like, he, he is a vertical passing game believer um, under Stafford, under Murray. Hell, Georgia had a really good vertical passing game, even under Joe Cox. Uh, they will push the ball down the field. I think, actually, the, the thing that I might challenge a little bit with your um, analysis there, Georgia came up with those deep shot plays in those two CFP games that you mentioned, but there was a time last year where you know Georgia didn't have a – receiver have I think a 30 plus yard catch for like a maybe a seven game stretch of the season something around that uh you know I I think Georgia in 2022 was extremely efficient but not very explosive and then you know you get Arian Smith back from injury and when you needed it he ate that cushion up twisted the Ohio State defender into the dirt and boom, you know, busted it for what was it, an 85 yard touchdown, something like that. Long. Um, I think, yeah, I, I think Beck's arm is going to be used. And I think that Beck's arm is, you know, bigger than Stetson's. But I also think it's a misnomer that arm strength is 
always the determining factor on deep shots. Arm strength matters a lot more on a throw that you're making from the opposite hash to the sideline on like a 12 to 16 yard deep out with a, you know, corner sitting, you know, sitting in zone waiting to, to try and jump that, or you're trying to throw that between, you know, a man and a safety and, and cover two, like those are arm strength throws. Uh, you know, the throw that Stetson made to Bowers at the start of Georgia's go ahead drive against Ohio state, that's much more an arm strength throw than the one that he made to Kyrus down the slot that, you know, that is a trajectory throw. That's a layered ball, right? Like, you know, you're, you're looking at the field in, in three dimensions instead of two dimensions and you're, you're trying to make sure that you use the arc of your, your pass to, to fit it between the, the levels of the defense. Um, I, I think the, the receiver talent, you know, you, you made the, the point in your uh, statement, Tommy, about the, the wideouts should be as good or better in the last two years. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I don't have any, uh, disagreement there i mean that's that's been a pretty common refrain refrain from sources over the last like six months now you know going back to the spring practice and now again during fall camp like they feel very good about what they have in their receiver room and uh you know i think the the transfers are still getting up to speed in terms of all the intricacies of their defense but uh i, I think that you're you're gonna see more and more like, should I put this? I think you're going to see Georgia still, you know, like Marcus Roseme's not going anywhere because Marcus Roseme blocks his butt off and he's capable of making catches like the one he did against Tennessee where he went up and, you know, grabbed the ball off the goalpost on a, a third and goal red zone type situation. Like, but I, I just think you're going to see more kind of like ooh and ah type plays from Georgia's receivers this year that exhibit high level talent um yeah i think that's a fair thing to say and and some of those are guys that were already on the roster some of that is uh the transfers and then like some of that's you know you've got arian hopefully for a full season and because he's been healthy he's developing a full route tree and then you got yazid haynes and anthony evans who you know have the same type of speed that an arian smith does like it's just a lot of weapons, and uh, I think they're going to utilize them. But I do think with Stetson last year, if you look at his season versus 2022 – I'm sorry, versus 2021. So let's just go with the regular season in 2022. If you look at his passing numbers – he had uh, 50 attempts of over 20 yards and 18 completions. So 36% completion, 13 yards an attempt on 20 plus yard throws. But uh, the thing that stands out to me is, you know, five of his six interceptions in the regular season came on 20 plus yard throws. So Georgia, you know, like, when they did try to push the ball downfield, they often, you know, that was the time where they got into trouble the most um, as far as, you know, turnover standpoint with Stetson. And then in 2021, 
State in the regular season, he only threw the ball downfield of 20 plus yards 30 times. And let's see how many of those were. Sorry, I'm trying to see. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, Georgia ran a lot more play action, like a larger percentage of Stetson's dropbacks in 2021 were play action. So point being, they asked him to do more in 2022 from an attempts downfield standpoint and just in, in terms of how that happened and like more traditional dropbacks. But you saw it when they needed, like when they wanted to hit that play to McConkey in the Tennessee game coming right off of that that punt and getting the ball about the 40 yard line. Like they went play action with a tight formation and put McConkie one-on-one. So I think their deep shots are often set up a little bit from, uh, from like a run game standpoint, you know, they want to isolate guys. They're not just going to like spread it out and go bombs away. Okay. Um, that's all the questions I have from subscribers. I did see, uh, Greg, you had a question. Which freshman do you believe makes the biggest impact offense and defense? That's a tough one. Um, I am going to say on offense that let's go with, uh, I'm gonna go with Lawson lucky. I think that kid's, the real deal like I think he might you know I think he might end up getting the second most snaps of of any tight end just because he's got the blocking ability to go with the receiving ability I've heard he's in even better shape than he was uh back earlier in the season or I'm sorry back in the spring and then I I just believe that Georgia is going to continue to to use 12 personnel with a high frequency because of the, the conflicts that it creates for defenses. Um, defensive player is tougher, right? Like this time last year, I think we already knew like a week into fall camp, but uh, Michael Williams was going to be the dude. And I think this year we're more in a spot of still, you know, hearing guys flash here and there, but um, there's not a true freshman that I can sit here and say right now, I feel like is, is pressing to start, but uh, I'm going to say Damon Wilson is the one that I think that's the one I'm hearing the most buzz about. And uh, I'll, I'll give you guys this one for free. You can, uh, you, you should go check out our, our practices on dog central. Cause there's stuff like this in there pretty much every day, but um, I had a source tell me uh, on, you know, over the weekend, basically after Georgia had their first two practices and, and in pads and shoulder pads, like they were, they were basically like, you know, um, I think that all three of the guys that they got in 2020, three on the edge are going to be future could be future first round picks in the NFL draft. Damon Wilson, Samuel and Pimba, Gabe Harris, Gabe Harris gets overlooked a lot, but 
that dude is really physical and they're very, very impressed with the physicality that he brings that he's bringing to practice as a true freshman. That's not something I ever really hear about a defensive lineman that shows up at Georgia is that, you know, he's being called physical from the jump. Uh, a lot of those dudes show up and they're used to running around defenders or, or shooting gaps and he's just knocked them out of the way and goes. So I, I think he's going to be a very good fit. Um, but I think Damon Wilson's just got that raw pass rush ability already where he's going to come in off the rip and, um, going to be on the field for some third down situations or obvious passing type situations. And I think you're going to see him make some plays, just what we saw from him on G day. There's some moments where he, he just, you know, his get off is good. His bend is insane. Uses the hands reasonably well for a true freshman lineman. And, and you know, what do we know? Like Georgia will coach him up on all of that stuff and he'll get better and better at it. Uh, one of you asked about – let me go in order here. Uh, Aguero and Jordan Hall. Yeah, Aguero, you know, I, I would say of, of all the freshmen back in the spring, maybe other than Wilson, he was the one that I heard the most buzz about. Um, I, I've, you know, I think he's, he's definitely flashing at times uh, right now in fall camp. They love the way he moves. He's just a guy, like, instinct-wise, like – you know, his feet just move so quickly, quick movements, rarely, if ever takes a bad step. Um, he's going to be a very good player for Georgia for, for a long time, I think. And I wouldn't be shocked to see him in certain packages this season, especially as the season wears on and he gets more experienced. Uh, Jordan Hall, you know, I is a physical specimen. Um, and I think he's impressive in that sense. I am still, kind of feeling that one out, you know, I mean, today was the first day in full, full pads where they're really, really hitting, you know, all the way. Um, not to say they haven't been doing good line of scrimmage work, but I, I think that he's going to be a very good player. Do I know yet or have a vibe yet that he's going to, you know, come in right away and, and be a major contributor. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm ready to say that at this point. Um, but yeah, uh, and Sacred Grove says he's eating Haynes on special teams. Yeah, he's eating Haynes is – I'm almost guaranteeing you guys that we see him make like a more than one big play this year. But I just think maybe like there's going to be a game early on. Maybe that like South Carolina where uh, they just kind of like casually trot him out there in the slot or something on a, a random, uh, you know, second and four – and they're in some sort of heavy formation that looks like it's going to be run. And all of a sudden everybody looks up and he's 12 yards behind the nearest defender. Cause that, that kid can fly. And uh, yeah, I definitely think we'll see him in the return game. Uh, if not this year, certainly at some point in his career, but uh, he could contribute there right away. So yeah, um, that is tonight's show. Thank you all for joining in. I uh, really appreciate it. Lots of great participation in the chat. Um, really, really, you know, always. This show is in this format. Uh, it's made a lot better when when you guys are, are here in the live chat on YouTube. And, uh, 
you know, you're, you're throwing questions out there, or you're throwing ideas. And uh, a lot of times it feels like we're, we're kind of just having a conversation um, except for, you know, I got a microphone and you guys have a keyboard. So love doing it. Uh, definitely, definitely, definitely continue to join us. Um, we'll announce a, a usual time for, for this show in this format. Uh, Josh and I will be on, on uh, Thursday, not totally sure on time yet, but we're going to do big 12 win totals on Thursday. Uh, I'm, I'm sure we'll have a little Georgia talk in there as well, but uh, yes, we, we are going to, you know, we like to do the win total pods and uh, we will get to the sec here shortly, but uh, I do think in this day and age, especially with everything that's going on in the realignment world, it's hard to be a, Georgia fan without knowing what's going on with all these other teams. Cause you might see them down the road in the college football playoffs. So get your scouting report on the Texas and Oklahoma's of the world and uh, come see us on Thursday. Um, thank you all. Thanks. Sacred Grove, Harry, Ellen. Um, I play games. Jason has, I play games asked if Jason uh, who, who works with on dog central has been on the channel before he's been on a few times, but he he's, prefers the prefers the forum to the to this medium um occasionally i can talk him into doing a little recruiting q a i'll try and get him on here soon for you guys um and yeah one of you just brought up the film reviews in the chat uh those will definitely be back uh planning on doing a little carson beck film project for you guys here in the very near future before the season and uh working with josh on you know, getting all that stuff dialed for, for the year and uh, may also have some, some other expertise kind of, kind of helping out and uh, pitching in there. So I think that's going to be a fun show. And uh, I love, I love football season because uh, instead of like, you know, having to solicit questions and stuff, we can just, we can just talk about the football that happened. Um, So we're getting closer. I'm excited. I'm sure you guys are excited and uh, excited to do this all with all of you again in 2023 Uh, started writing about Georgia football in 2019. I started talking about it on air in 2020 and now we're here moving into 2023 and uh, dog central is a little over a year old and, and you know, the, the support that you guys have given us over there has been tremendous and, and really exciting and uh, hope that you'll continue to, take this journey with us and, and extremely grateful for, for all of you who continue to consume the stuff that I make and that, that Josh makes and Jason and, and John and the, my got a podcast guys and, and the hundred Sanford show. Like, um, you know, all of us are kind of a little independent media collective with the dog central product. And I think in this day and age with you've seen what corporate media has done to college football over the last couple of weeks in terms of, uh, realignment and i think it's important to have independent voices and so uh we want to be that that voice or one of those voices and and we also uh want to you know try to give those voices a microphone when we can find them so um thank you all for being there to listen when we speak until later i hope you guys all have a good afternoon or evening wherever you are